can't pay the IRS, haven't filed in a while, receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host, but you're here to listen to the star and namesake. That's Victor Davis Hanson. He is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. We are recording on Saturday, the 20th of January, a few days out from the New Hampshire primary. This show will come out that very day. We'll have no discussion, Victor, on the outcome since we will not know it. But we can talk about some other important matters, including a really interesting and telling a poll conducted by Scott Rasmussen for um, the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. And it was about the elites of America, them versus us. And uh, Kim Strassel at the Wall Street Journal had a really, really groovy breakdown of that poll. And we'll start off uh, this program today getting your thoughts about that poll and Kim's piece. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com. Dot com, fieldofgreens.com. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. 
Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Later on the show, Victor, I will inform our listeners, many of them I'm sure knew, about your happy home on the web. That's the Blade of Perseus, victorhanson.com. That's Victor's official website. More on that later. So, Victor, as I mentioned uh, Scott Rasmussen conducted this uh, poll. I was on a briefing about it last week, and it was uh, embargoed. And the embargo broke on Friday through an article in the Wall Street Journal written by Kim Strassel, the them versus us election. And if you'll indulge me a second, yes, Victor, to, uh, some of the findings here. What's the us versus them? And the them or the us, depending on which side you're on, is the elites, the elite elites, the um, postgraduate degreed, $150,000 plus salary, living in a major city or metropolitan area. What are their views compared to the views of the rest of America? And here's what Kim wrote, analyzing this survey. Talk about out of touch. Among the elites, 74% say their finances are getting better compared with 20% of the rest of voters. The share is 88% among elites who are Ivy League graduates. The elite give President Biden an 84% approval rating, oh my God, compared with 40% from non-elites. And their complete faith in fellow elites extends beyond Mr. Biden. Large majorities of them have a favorable view of university professors, 89%, journalists, 79%, lawyers and union leaders, 78%, and even members of Congress, 67%. Two-thirds say they prefer a candidate who said teachers and educational professionals, not parents, should decide what children are taught. Victor, there's a lot more here. I won't torture our listeners anymore. I recommend they go to the journal and find this piece. Victor, I am confident you are not surprised. No, you know, I, I've, I'm kind of guilty of using this word. I think she had a, a really good point, Kim did, who's a very bright person. And the poll suggests that it's not just income. 
you can say that Donald Trump in some ways is not an elite, at least not culturally. At least he's not seen as so by his enemies. What I mean by that, Jack, is if you're, say, you're a Ford car dealer in Lansing, Michigan, and you make 400000 a year, but you're pretty conservative and you live among normal people versus you're a single uh, techie who makes two hundred in San Francisco and lives in a studio, that is, and you have certain ideas. So it, it's more your zip code, your worldview, the type of labor you do. And yes, there is a minimum income that shields you from the consequences of your own ideology. But what she's talking about is a culture that we've created. And I think globalization had a lot to do with it. That wasn't mentioned prominently in um, her article, but I think it does because somewhere around 2000, anybody who did something uh, by the nature of their labor, muscular labor, for example, or the nature of what they did, assembly, manufacturing, farming, uh, that was outsourced to Mexico, to Southeast Asia, but sp specifically and particularly to China. And real wages crashed. And uh, I saw it happen in the San Joaquin Valley when over a period of 10 years, family farms were just liquidated. Suddenly, you get $23 a box for plums, and then it was four. And then the land was consolidated, and people made up the difference in transportation and shipping and distribution and brokerage. They were vertically integrated, new acreages, and they did fine under globalization. And we kind of, and then the people who had skills, mostly on the coast, uh, law, media, universities, uh, you could say international finance, insurance, anything that had a global market, suddenly their their consumer base went from 330 million, or at that time, probably 290, all the way up to 6 billion customers. And then you had these huge mega, the Michael Bloomberg fortune, the Zuckerberg fortune, the Warren Buffett fortune, et cetera, the Googles and the Apples and all that. And they... We've never seen that amount of money in the history of civilization and the people who surrounded them, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions in those types of industries. And they created a worldview that they were not subject to market realities or taxes. So in their view, they had all of their material wants satisfied. They had beautiful homes. They had perfect health care. They had beautiful cars. They went on vacation, but they felt they couldn't live forever. So then they started worrying and worrying about cosmic issues, global warming and DEI and ESG and radical abortion on demand. And they felt that there were people who were obstacles to their vision of utopia, heaven on earth. And those were variously named. They came to be known as the clingers, the deplorables, the irredeemables, the chumps, the dregs, the crazies, the hobbits, to quote John McCain and Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. But essentially, it was a new group of people who had visions for the rest of us, electric trucks and Ford. We're going to make electric trucks. Joe Biden's going to drive one. You're all going to buy one. And then people said, well, no, I like my 36-gallon uh, fuel tank, and I like to go 700 miles. I don't want to have to look around to be charged up every 250 miles. Sorry. And they're not buying it. I like my natural gas stove. 
I was told that's uh, the way to cook food. It's a much more efficient way to do it. It's more precise. I like it. And I was told by the power company 10 years ago to use natural gas for your hot water heater rather than electric. So they're just rebelling about against these people. And we know who they are. They're the people who put their kids in very Tony prep schools and then rant and rave about charter schools and homeschools and how great the teachers unions are and how great diversity is, but they don't put their kids into those situations. And they rave and rave and rave about climate change and da, 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 evils of air conditioning. But in California, they live on the coast where it's 75 to 85 all year round. And so they're John Kerryites. They, they rail about carbon footprints. They fly on private jets. And so that's what they're talking about. And that's what this election is really shaping up to be, as we saw in Dav Davos. That was one of the most, you know, just to veer off a little bit, that was one of the most crazy things. The, the I've been watching these clips from various presentations at Davos. Right. And you, Jack, when you hear these people start issuing these warnings that what might happen to the United States under Trump, they're just surreal. They're, this one guy, I think he was German or French or so. I don't know what he was, but he said the world will be there. The world is under attack. There's wars everywhere right now. There's wars everywhere. It's very Can you imagine what will happen if Donald Trump comes in with those wars? And you think, hey, wait a minute. There were no wars when Donald Trump was here. There was no Ukrainian war. There was no Afghan humiliation. There was no Hamas invasion. The Red Sea was open. Iran was corralled. Do you ever get the picture that all of these wars you're talking about were caused by your ideology as manifested by Joe Biden? It's just it's just a complete disconnect. It, it, it's so funny. And I was watching Rachel Maddow, Jack, you probably saw when she cut Trump's yeah. acceptance speech, which actually was really strange because of all the speeches Donald Trump has given, they can be crude, they can be mean, but that speech was conciliatory. He said he wanted to work with Democrats. He wanted it, and they cut it. And they said, we can't have this disinformation. We can't. And I thought, you sat there every night at your desk, Rachel Maddow, and you told us chapter and verse about Trump as the Putin asset, Russian collusion. Then you went into full gear with Russian disinformation, and the laptop was cooked up in Russia. And then you went into the alpha bank ping. You went into the Ukrainian phone call. The, and you're shameless to say that this man is disinforming us when that was your trademark. For years, you you misled the American people. So that is what that poll is about. That's what Kim is talking about. A, a group of people in the United States, a minority who because of globalization and the types of things that they produce, basically cerebral things or abstract things or financial things or insurance or law, they have done made out like bandits and the people who weld and fabricate and farm and mine uh, haven't done so well. And these people are deemed roadblocks to their vision of utopia because they worry about things like I can't afford my uh, power bill. I need to have affordable gasoline. I need to be able to turn up the thermostat to 68 in the winter. Please, yeah. my kids uh, 
are not learning in school. And so they have different values and different concerns. And that's why we're starting to also hear this weird attack on democracy from the elite left. You know, you have to destroy democracy to save it. You can't allow these people to vote. They may vote for Donald Trump. You got to get him off the ballot in Colorado. You got to get him off the ballot in Maine. You've got to get him. You got to put him behind bars. These stupid people may vote for him. So that I think that was, it was a very good article and a good poll. Yeah, one of the those survey numbers was that uh, nearly fifty percent of the elites believe the U.S. provides quote too much individual freedom. Isn't that nice of them? Hey, Victor, you mentioned. Um, Davos and right, it's a great count. This poll, but which by the way, folks want to see the poll. Uh, I know that the Committee to Unleash Prosperity, that's the group founded by you know, Steve Moore and um Art Laffer, Steve Forbes, Larry Kudlow. Larry used to be part of it before he went into the administration. Uh, they uh they underwrote it, paid for it, and it's up on their website. So if you're interested in it, uh, but it's a great counterpoint with Davos happening at the same time. And I, I, uh, I just amongst the many, you mentioned some weirdnesses there. And here's a headline: uh, World Economic Forum. That's what Davos's official name is. Uh, introduces international criminal category of ecocide to criminalize farming, fishing, and energy production. I guess we really are supposed to eat bugs uh, at the beginning. Why don't they the criminalize the uh, private jets? There's a thousand of them parked there. And why don't they criminalize uh, prostitution? We're told that high-priced escorts are in short supply. The demand is so and so great at Davos, they can't meet it. So why don't they just ban? I have a... a a polite suggestion. Why don't they just say that if you have over 8,000 square feet, you're leaving too big of a carbon footprint and therefore you'll have to pay taxes or, or cut off part of your house. They never do that. They never apply these standards that they want to enforce on all the middle class to themselves. And they're really like the French aristocracy of the 18th century, the Bourbons. They really are. You know, like Talleyrand said that often quote, they learn nothing, they forgot nothing, they learn nothing and they've forgotten nothing. They just keep at it no matter, you know, all of the lies that they've, you know, all the George Floyd lies, the January 6th lies, the COVID lies, the insurrection, quote unquote, armed insurrection, all of these lies, they don't care. They just keep going. And the Davos thing, everything they've said at Davos the last 20 years has been false. Remember the guy, Joe, uh, Jack, in 2000, he said that we should just kiss snow goodbye, that nobody would ever see it again. That was, a, you know, yeah. I, I went, yeah, <laughs> I went up to my little cabin in Huntington Lake and last year and I looked like an igloo, a two story, and you had to dig a tunnel to get into it. And there was an accumulated over the winter 90 feet. And so... What they tell us and what you see in real life have nothing to do with each other. Nothing to do. Nothing to do at all. Right. And then they do things that are so crazy. They tell us now all of a sudden that being morbidly obese. I was looking at the Sports Illustrated bikini person who was very, very heavy. Is not the, the psychological Fairly. damage of saying that someone is overweight far outweighs the actual cholesterol damage or diabetes damage that overweight overweightness entails. 
So they, they just make stuff as they go. And, um, you know, right. Like, like it was okay to, uh, uh, to rally and riot in the streets. Uh, well, I mean, I mean lockdown, right? I'll be candid. I looked at, I, if you look at the FBI crime statistics or what comes out of the DOJ, or you do it anecdotally and look at TikTok and TikTok and you see right. smash and grab or carjackings, it's mostly African-American males. It is. Yeah. And, and yet we're told by the elite, they don't discuss it. They will not discuss it. And yet they feel that, if 12% of the population is 55% in commercials, they've solved the problem of high crime inordinately committed by one demographic. And that's how they deal with things. They really, right. they really do. And uh, Did you, you see know, it? There was a story that came out today, Victor, about a, a high school fight in Minnesota, uh, the town of St. Louis, where it was blacks versus Somalian kids they got into some and I don't know now if if Somalians are are racist you know they're they're black uh, it's so it's so weird how race is it's not weird race is the shield and the sword and the everything of 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 the left it's the it's well, why the black lives wanted, matter right yeah you know, Joe Biden bragged that he said in 10 what 20 years that so-called white people would not be the majority this is great okay we get all that doesn't really matter what color we are, but if it does matter, if you're reverting to tribalism and that your superficial appearance is essential to who you are rather than incidental, that's what they're doing. And so why wouldn't you have a Hobbesian war of everybody against everybody once you start to retribalize? And, you know, when I, I was watching Joy Reid's clips the other day, I cannot believe that woman. She has a major platform and she isn't. 19th century racist. She just goes out and says that people in Iowa uh, are just racist because they're evangelical and they're white. She says that moms for liberty are the daughters of American Revolution or Confederate people. They're racist. If you just took the word white and substitute black and any other person said that, they would be off the air in two seconds. It's just incredible. And I it, it's it's like Fannie Willis. I mean, here she is on a tape, I guess, four years ago, saying she will not tolerate sexual relations between members of her office. And if she finds it, they're going to be dismissed. And the taxpayers are not going to pay for sexual harassment suits under her. They're going to fire people. And here she is who hires someone who is not qualified, never tried once a criminal case. Put, it, put him in charge at a greater pay than the other person who was much more qualified, used the money to junk it around the United States, kept it quiet, helped him suppress the divorce records. And there's so many things that are wrong. And then what does she do? She says it's all about a going after a powerful black woman. And that mentality has been created it accelerated during George Floyd, but I don't think these people realize they're creating a racist society. They really are when people identify by their race and we just say, well, it's because it's a past race. No, it's not. Fannie Willis and Latita James or Alvin Bragg can't point to places where the uh, situations where they're victims of racism. Kamala Harris can't. Michelle Obama can't. Well, maybe 
you know, in the way that we all get snubbed, if I, it would be like, Victor, can you cite personal races? Yeah, I can. if I had to say how many times from K through 12, I was called a gringo in a community that was 60, 70 percent. I, I could I could never do it. Was that racism? Right. I guess. Did it matter? No, not at all. But I hear I hear, you know, I'd heard it all the time when I grew up and, you know, it was. So you'd go drinking with those people, too, right? No, it was sort of like the people in high school that I hung out and I hung out with again. There were two types of uh, people who were so-called marginalized Mexican-American people. There were the majority who didn't care anything about how you look. And then there were the people who were the La Rosaites or Chicanos or Chucos. They were were called Pachucos or Vatos. That's what we were calling either Chucos or Vatos. And they were in gangs and they were racist. And maybe it was because they were poor or they came from Mexico or to be candid, they came from southern Mexico. And when I was growing up, most of the people came from northern Mexico and they came legally and they were sort of completely integrated, intermarried, assimilated and nobody cared. And the Vatos or the Chucos would call them white Mexicans. And they'd make fun of them. And then the other one would call them wetbacks. And that was that was the extent of it. It was bad. But I mean, there, if you were in a minority and I, my entire life and, and I'm in a minority now in my community, right. I, I don't go around and say, wow, everybody in my community doesn't look like me. The police chief doesn't look like me. The mayors, the city council, the school teachers, the superintendents. I go into the drugstore. I go into the health center. I I don't see anybody who looks like me. I'm I'm a victim. No, right. I'm not. I don't care how people look. It's just just the way it is. But when, when you start to do that and retribalize, when you're a Joy Reid or you're Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin or you're the bicoastal elite, and you think you're going to start to retribalize the country and destroy meritocracy and just start looking at the way people look, regardless of class or their individual circumstances, then you are lighting, you're putting a match to gasoline because what you will do is you will go into full bore Yugoslavia and everybody will start to retribalize and start. And I've mentioned that before on podcasts. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I get up really early and I go to various stores before people come in. And usually they're rural people who get up very early and they're the only people there. And and they're probably 20% of the population in these towns that are still white, so-called white. Well, everybody's intermarried, so it doesn't really matter that much as far as classifications, but they will talk to you. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Do I know you? No. But it's it's some kind of unspoken solidarity that I've never seen in my lifetime before. Yeah. But it's a reaction to this tribalism. And I can see it even well, in sophisticated places at Stanford, because when you when you when you have 60, 70 percent of the population is so-called white and you restrict it to 21 percent of the incoming classes, then you're and you tell them every single day that V-I-D-E-I and that you people are or culpable, you people. This is a generation that grew up 30 years after the civil rights movement. And you keep telling them that, they're going to start to get freaked out. I can see it already on campus. And uh, it doesn't stop. The more that you start to to judge people by the color of their skin and destroy merit, 
the more that empowers them and then you the more problems you have with people continuing to do that we saw that with Claudine Gay Harvard thought wow she came from Stanford she got tenure with four articles we're not going to read them or examine them we're going to give her tenure as a professor we're going to make her an administrator we're going to make her a dean we're going to make her president and at each state, they they made that decision on the base of her race and gender and ideology. Had she been a brilliant woman in the fashion of Tom Sowell or Shelby Steele or Glenn Lowry or someone like that, she would have never gotten there. So don't fool ourselves. It's more than just race. It's ideology. But my point is, they thought they were at the end of history then, that Claudine Gay was president and she'll be here for 30 years. And they didn't realize that once you start to give exemptions, it's you, it's like an addict. You have to keep giving a fix. So then when she plagiarized, well, it was duplicative language. Oh, it was just a misstep. It was kind of copying. It wasn't really intellectual theft. Or she got confused during that hearing. Oh, that people were after her. Or race was the whole thing. You just have to keep doing that. And finally, that the weight right. of the lies become so overwhelming, they crush you. And that's what happened to Harvard. And I think you can make the argument, to get off topic a bit, that Claudine Gay has done more, maybe inadvertently, but the mm -hmm. events swirling around her has done more damage to Harvard than anything in the last 50 years. And it has single-handedly really tarnished the name of Harvard. And I the think brand, you can right. say the same thing about Stanford University. You can say... The Judge Duncan Law School incident, the euphemism language, you can't use certain words like patriot or American, or the whole controversy about the president, or certain people in the faculty senate, all of these scandals, the Sam Bankman have done, they've, they've kind of destroyed the, the, the reputation of the university that I'm in. Yeah. Uh, you've talked about this with the Stanford graduates, but I could see quiet conservative business owners saying uh regarding harvard i am not i am not hiring anyone i, I hear it i hear it all the time i i hear it i think i think what's going to happen is people are going to say god you're going to spend a quarter million dollars and your child's going to come home at thanksgiving of her of her first year and she's not going to recognize you she's going to start after your pain and borrowing a hundred thousand for her education she's going to start lecturing you about all of your illiberalities, you'd want to go through that. And then when she graduates and you ask her, okay, can you name the 10 amendments that form the Bill of Rights? Can you tell me what, I don't know, how the checks and balances between legislative, executive, and judicial branches? Maybe give me a little excursus on what caused World War II. Can you tell me anything about Benito, Benito Mussolini and what he did in Italy and the damage? They don't know anything. And yeah. yet, so who wants? And then when that when you add that know nothingism to the arrogance, right? As one person said to me, I don't want to get one of these guys because they do two things. They don't they haven't been taught in the fundamentals of the craft that we're hiring them for because the curriculum has been watered down. And then their HR junkies, they go to human relations and they complain. And we and that's right. this generation. So we'd much rather have a guy from Texas A&M or University of Florida or Georgia Tech. 
And I yeah. think that's going to happen. I think these other universities, University of Florida is a good example under Ben Sasse. I know a lot of the listeners think he's, you know, he was a never Trumper, and but he's doing a wonderful job at the University of Florida. There's really a great good. piece uh, by about him. Uh, yes, there James is. Toronto and to, today's today's January 20th. It's Wall a Street very Journal. good piece. It's a very good yeah. piece. And he's, he's if, a, if, if he gets his way and Ron DeSantis is still governor for another three and doesn't take an appointment, uh, if Donald Trump should win the nomination. But if they can continue that in three years, that will be the Harvard of the South and yeah. the trajectory it's going. Because yeah. once you create you create real freedom and real exchange of thoughts and you go back to meritocracy, did you see the SAT score mean scores are getting at Florida? 1450 and 1430. I mean, pretty damn good. It, yeah. you, wow. you really think right now when you've thrown out the SAT at Harvard or Yale or Stanford and you've thrown out comparative evaluations of GPAs based on the rigor of their high schools and you put emphasis on the DEI statement that you're going to get a superior student to the people who are applying to Florida that have to have a particular SAT score or GPA from a rigorous high school? I don't think so. It's going to happen very quickly, the change. And it's happening right now. You can see it. You really can see it. And, well, uh, I, I, I again recommend folks read that. Ben, who is a friend, and uh, he's a, he is really a smart guy and a visionary on the education front. So that's a, a very welcome uh, piece. Hey, Victor, though, we have to talk about some more academic um, lunacy mixed with race at Rice University. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. <laughs> At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing Accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. And before I get to that uh, subject about a professor, Brooke Johnson, who teaches chemistry at Rice, I, I do want to take a very brief moment here to welcome our new sponsor, Tax Network. Tax Network USA has a, a brilliant war room strategy to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor, such as a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties 
if you qualify. Schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. Call 1-800-245-6000. Again, call 1-800-245-6000 or visit tnusa.com slash Victor. And we thank the good people at Tax Network USA for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, um, I follow uh, Eli Steele religiously on, I still call it Twitter, just to torque some of our listeners who can't stand it, sorry, X. And he, he has this <clears throat> post about Brooke Johnson, who's, it says a preceptor in chemistry. I must admit my ignorance. I'm not, you know, I assume preceptor is not a, even an assistant professor, but whatever. And this is the course she is teaching. It's Afrochemistry, the study of Black Life Matter. It's a three-credit course, and it says that students, here's the course description, students will apply chemical tools and analysis to understand Black life in the U.S., and students will implement African-American sensibilities to analyze chemistry, diverse historical and contemporary scientists Intellectuals and chemical discoveries will inform personal reflections and proposals for addressing inequities in chemistry and chemical education. This course will be accessible to students from a variety of backgrounds, including STEM and non-STEM disciplines. No prior knowledge of chemistry or African-American studies is required for engagement in this course, and there is no final exam. This is Rice University chemistry you know, it, department Afrochemistry <laughs> course. You know, it it really reminds me of Stalinism when there was a there was a Stalinist science. If you know, you're going to drain the Ural Sea. It's brilliant because Stalin said so. And Komisars on the Red Army in 1941 and 42. Yeah, it's certain. It's counter revolutionary to have a strategic retreat. We don't do that. Seven hundred thousand people captured and killed because of that. Or Hitler's, you know, crazy ideas of making an America four-engine bomber to fly all the way to the United States and divert, you know, very source uh, scarce resources against something uh, from something that would be very valuable, like an eighty-eight millimeter platform uh, artillery gun, and that's what it was. It was ideology that was governing science and productivity and allotment of resources. So there is no such thing as whites chemistry or African-American, it's just chemistry. And there's a general rule that when you look at all of these courses, if they have the word intersectional or intersectionality or my truth, anything that suggests that in lieu of real knowledge, they should be given a pass because they're intersectional, they have different so-called oppressed groups that are interested in it, or that you have a relativist my truth versus the universal truth, they're completely bogus. So what are they going to... If you say if you're a young person that is African-American and you have aptitude for chemistry, what you want to do is take as many rigorous empir empirical, intuitive courses in chemistry as you can. And you want to be the best chemist you can be. You know, uh, you, you mentioned that once. The thing I remember most, Jack, when I was 1962, I think it was eight or nine 
And my mom pushed me through the door of Grace Cathedral in San Francisco when Martin Luther King was there. We were, I was the only, I was kind of a, I don't know, wandering kid. And I wandered ahead of my parents right when they shut the doors because it was sold out. And then he walked around um, the edge of the church uh, before he spoke and said hello to everybody. And then he went to the pulpit and he, he had that famous speech. I don't care what you are. If you're the janitor, I want you to be the best janitor. If you are a landscaper, you be the best. And the point he was saying is that only through excellence, excellence in these fields are African-Americans going to be to progress. And that's what he meant against all of the endemic hindrances and blockages. If you could still overcome it and be the best. And that that message has been completely lost. There is no such thing as African-American chemistry. It doesn't exist. It's just chemistry. And why wouldn't why wouldn't Rice, who's, that's a great university, why wouldn't they emphasize that? Why would they allow that to happen and give these false narratives that's just going to confuse people? Or it's going to ask for, one, that class will give you exemptions or it will give you grievances. And then when you take a real chemistry class and you don't do well because you didn't study hard enough, then you will be given rationales why the course did not I don't know, address your needs or your your uh, the biases of the professor. It just it's just it's Stalinist. It's Hitlerian. It's this idea that ideology starts to destroy empirical knowledge and the quest for truth in any society. There's a lot of them, whether it's Cuba or Venezuela or Mao's China or Stalin's Russia, or Hitler's Germany, whenever you take ideology and you start to massage disciplines like science, biology, math, calculus, or you start to say things like Jewish physics, the best thing that ever happened to the Allies was the Nazi party had something called Jewish physics. And that was particle matter and the types of uh, pure physics that was necessary in an applied sense to create the bomb. And they, at, all during the 1930s and mid late 30s, they dubbed Einsteinian physics Jewish physics. And the result was the West got all of these refugees that helped, you know, in New Mexico create our bomb before they got it. And, and so there's a terrible history there. And I don't know why we allow this to happen. I really don't. Where is the president of that university? Where is the dean? Why can't he yeah. say we're not going to have Asian Asian chemistry? We're not going to have white physics. We're not going to have Chicano math. It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. And if everybody would you know, just, you, I don't know, you could stop it in a second. Yeah. But, but Victor, if there was someone, uh, you know, Chris Rufo's duplicate uh, would take uh, half an hour a day. They could every day populate a Twitter feed with a, a daily nutball, nutcase professor like this one. That's not even nutty. Nutty is is weird. This is, this is you know, evil. It's anti-civilizational. Uh, it really is. It's tribal. Yeah. It's anti-civilizational. You keep doing stuff like this, you're United Airlines, and you keep saying that if you're the CEO, your goal is to be DEI and not to be the safest airline and the most efficient, then you're going to have real problems. Are it, it's did starting I, to filter. I, it's starting to filter down to to the basics of society. I'm living in a community where, right 
I think 12 miles away where I bought my infamous Echo Diesel. There was a policeman shot the other day who shot in broad daylight. And who was he shot by? A felon who had been let out four times for violent offenses. And they won't they won't reveal his immigration status. But when you start to tinker with all these theories and ideologies rather than just practical, stay to the truth, follow the law, reinforce the system, then you start to break it starts to break down. It's very important people understand that because some of the great questions in history are what what why did the Byzantine Empire that lasted a thousand years in hostile neighborhood why in the 15th century did it just implode? And why was it destroyed? Mm -hmm. And why did Rome that lasted? Well, it lasted for 1500 years, Republican Empire. Why in the 5th century AD did it unwind? And, and you, can, you can find the answers very easily that people in a particular generation stopped believing the received wisdom, customs, traditions that had been successful from prior generations because usually because they were pretty affluent or they were leisured or they were pampered or whatever the particular reason was, they started to believe in ideologies or thought patterns or narratives that were contrary to the values that had created them. And so when you look at the society and you see a war on the past, oh, our ancestors were racist. Oh, they put up racist statues. Oh, they, 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 they. You want a war in the past? Then you're going to be war because people are going to look at this generation. I've said this before. What did they do? What mm -hmm. did they do? San Fran they created, they inherited San Francisco and they'd created a desert. They inherited New York, the Giuliani Bloomberg, New York. It's un uninhabitable. That's what they did. And yet that generation that gave us the, the homeless epidemic, the 8 million coming in from the border, the worst racial tensions in history since, the, I don't know, the periods of the 1950s or they gave us lockdowns or they gave us rioting, insurrection, that real insurrection in May, June, July, August of 2020, or they started right. taking, what, what, what did they do? They didn't do anything. And yet they're the most critical of prior generations. And every time, you know, when I've had a conversation with one of these people, you just say, if it was so bad, why are so many people coming across the border? Why don't they? Why isn't there a big sign by President Obrador warning, do not step foot across that border? There is right. white rage, white privilege, okay. white supremacy. It is a unfair society. It is not sensitive to marginalized people like we are in Mexico. Do not go there. It doesn't work. It, they don't. I don't know why they don't say that. So when Joy Reid goes on her harangue, does she ever take a deep breath and say, why did my parents immigrate here? Why didn't we just stay in an indigenous country? Where we? Why didn't Claudine Gay, who's so critical, why didn't her parents say, ah, we don't want to come to the United States. We have a monopoly, very rich in Haiti. They've got the biggest cement plant. It's a monopolistic government, private enterprise scam probably. And we're very wealthy. We're aristocratic. Why would we want to go to that racist society? But nobody ever does that. So they, just to finish this rant, what they, what they're saying is, privately, 
I'm so glad I'm in the United States. I'm so glad that the founders created this wonderful thing called the Bill of Rights and the Constitution and the Declaration. I'm so happy of the history and traditions of free free market capitalism, private property, individual liberty, security, prosperity. I That's why I'm here, but I can't say that. So I want to, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't help my career. So what I'm going to do is just blast this awful place that under no circumstances will I leave. You can really see it with the crazy lunatic on hinge pro Hamas demonstrations, whether they're going outside yeah. Sloan Kettering uh, Hospital to yell at some many Jewish kids that are dying of cancer or shutting down the bridges in San Francisco or New York, or you name the atrocious thing they're doing. And then they're yeah. cheering well, on well, uh, Hamas. But yeah. you say to them, you know, genocide Joe. Okay. He's genocide Joe. We agree. He's bad. The country's bad. And Hamas is noble. So go over there. Just go over there, please. We promise we will never go to Gaza ever again. Anybody who's been in America will make a deal. Nobody will ever go to Gaza. But everybody from Gaza who is not a citizen and here on a green card or student visa, would you please go home and enjoy that wonderful society? And they don't do Victor, you, you've written about um, pretty powerfully about uh, Hamas and the riots in the streets and uh, uh, looking at another angle of October 7th and the reaction to it. Is there an insurrection going on here? And let's get your fuller thoughts on that, uh, Victor, uh, right after uh, these uh, important messages. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson show, and before Victor um, raised that again about uh, your your uh, X slash Twitter recent post, uh, I'd like to take a moment uh, for our sponsor, Brickhouse Nutrition, and their new product, which is called Lean. It's a doctor formulated weight loss supplement. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism and keep your appetite under control. If your life is a bit stressful and you want to lose weight, add lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Get 15% off and free shipping at Take Lean. That's T-A-K-E-L-E-A-N. TakeLean.com and enter 
Victor15, that's the promo code Victor15, V-I-C-T-O-R, the number one, the number five, at TakeLean.com, TakeLean.com. We thank the good people at Brickhouse Nutrition and Take Lean for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, uh, this past week you wrote a significant post on Twitter. X, by the way, you're over 500,000 followers now, half a million, so um, onward to a million and it raises uh, to me and others and you yourself about what what is insurrection. Uh, we focus on there was an insurrection on January 6th, and it's a pr- pretty elastic term, I think, a uh, pretty politicized term. And is it applicable to what we're seeing in the streets of our major cities and in the really nasty and troubling harassment and sometimes murder of Jewish Americans, if I may just say, there's a piece in a commentary magazine that just came out it's by John Podaritz. It's titled, They're Coming After Us. I read it. I read it. It's a very it's good, really John wrote a very powerful. good essay. Yeah. So this is, you know, what is insurrection? If if what happened on January 6th is insurrection, isn't what the Hamasophiles doing? Well, no, insurrection means, insurrection means one thing. Let's be clear about it. Insurrection. Sure. If you have a new American dictionary, it says a term of libel used against protest of conservatives or people on the right that on occasion get out of control and become temporarily riotous. That's what insurrection is. It does not mean people on the left going into the Capitol rotunda and shutting it down. It does not mean people in June of 2020 swarming the fence separating the White House grounds from uh, Lafayette Park and trying to get in there to kill or swarm Donald Trump. It does not mean burning a federal courthouse or a police precinct with police in it or historic St. John's Episcopal Church. It does not mean Hamas, pro-Hamas people going in the California legislature and stopping it. It does not mean trying to shut down entry into clone Sloan Kettering Hospital. It does not mean taking over the Manhattan Bridge or San Francisco at commute time. It doesn't mean hitting a pinata in front of everybody at UCLA, as you say, beat the effing Jew. And that's what in, is not insurrection, according to these people. And at some point, you know, I think a lot of people are getting very, very angry at the, these um, protests. I've said it before on this show, Jack, but I'd just like to reiterate or maybe elaborate what we're seeing in the pro-Israel marches, and there's not as very many of them anymore, and and the pro-Hamas march, marches are simply mirror imaging the dichotomy that's going on now in the Middle East. Because we have to remember, there was no war between Hamas. There was no Jews, no Israelis. They had left Gaza. Gaza had its uh, first luxury hotel that Hamas had got from foreign money. They were the recipients over the last 20 years of autonomy of billions of dollars. Billions. They created without money the most sophisticated and largest labyrinth of military tunnels in the world. That's what they did with their money. And on October 7th, at a time of peace, they went in and slaughtered somewhere between 11 and 1,300 people. 
and they beheaded them and they committed necrophilia and they tortured women as they raped them and they dismembered people and they torched them. Okay. And what are we learning now? We're learning the most macabre things from these stories. As they were raping women, they were stabbing them with a knife. We're now, I don't know if you saw the story this week of a father trying to bury his son. And they said, we do not want you to look at the casket. The Israeli authorities did. And he said, I have to. It was headless. And he found out that the Hamas civilians who came in on word that if you follow the militants, the gunmen, the terrorists, the killers, and you follow them, and you got Israeli civilians, and you dragged them back, then you could get up to $10,000 bounty. So they got killed a young man in the IDF and beheaded him and took the head back to sell it. And they found it in a refrigerator in Gaza. So I could go on, but... And they're sending, you know, of course, 7,000 rockets. Now it's probably up to 8,000 without any warning deliberately as civilians. And we are taking all of that and we're, we're conflating it with the IDF that's trying to stop these people who are hiding under hospitals and mosques and schools and using human shields and enlisting Gazan civilians to hold hostages and trying not to kill people and wanting them to get out. And we're saying that the response is amoral and the people who started it and commit, committed this pre-civilizational barbarity is moral. And here at the United States, we see Jewish students who are, are accused of being Zionist who are following the rules and following the law when they do occasionally demonstrate. And the people who chase them in, chase them into libraries and surround them, or in the case at use, near use in Los Angeles, hit somebody over the mega, with a megaphone and kill them, or chant from the river to the sea, which is a genocidal. We're saying that's okay. But the, my point is that there's a reason why the people demonstrating for Hamas are so asymmetrical with the people demonstrating against it. And the same differences take place in Gaza between the how the IDF conducts war and how Hamas conducts war. And I think that's and I'd like to see somebody deny it. Just tell me you're wrong. No, beheading is perfectly legitimate in war. And selling heads is what we do. And if you rape, you've got to stab a woman at the same time. And there's nothing wrong with mutilating corpses. That's just, uh, they drove us to do that. And if you put a baby in a microwave, that is legitimate too. Just like here in the United States, you can set, shut down the Golden Gate when there's people trying to get home and some case, emergency vehicles can be stopped. There's nothing wrong with going out of a, out in front of a cancer ward, looking at kids in the window and yelling, screaming threats to their existence. That's fine, too. And I just don't think people are going to accept that. I really don't. I think one of the things that some polls have been showing, Jack, is that the support for Israel has gone up in direct proportion to these pro-Hamas demonstrations. Because right. if you go to if you go down Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles and you deface the National Military Cemetery, Nobody's going to be for that. Nobody's right. going to be for that at all. If you throw paint as if it's blood at the, on the Lincoln Memorial, nobody's going to be for that. You know, or these guys that get out of their cars and actually drag these 
you know, douchebags off the road while they're blocking traffic. They're applauded. They're lauded by oh, they are. the rest of us. You know, like, yeah. I wish I was in that situation yeah. and had I the mean, courage to do the same thing. Yeah. Oh, they, they are. And I think people are, I think what, what we're trying to sum up, everyone, is that I don't want to be an alarmist, but there's a, there's a growing anger and there's a growing worry that civilization as we know it is accelerating into not just into decline, but into nothingness. It's being destroyed. And we know the remedy, but we feel the remedy is is impossible because it's, I don't know, it's politically incorrect or what. We could shut the border down tomorrow. We could tell Mexico, instead of taking a bribe from Joe Biden, and I think that's what they did, because they're starting to do what they could have done four year, three years ago, we could shut it down tomorrow. We could finish the wall and just say, you know what? You've got 30 days to make sure nobody comes near the wall. And if you don't, it's 5% on the 60 billion remittances. And then if you, do, you don't do it in 30 days, it's 10. And we could just go in up to it's 50% and cut off $60 billion. And they would really react. And we could stop all of the madness with Iran. We don't want a war with Iran. Nobody wants a war. But we could put sanctions on them that would cripple them tomorrow. And we could do the same thing with the Houthis and all of these people. But we, I, I don't know, we just, you know, we can't do it. And we could stop the smash and grab tomorrow. All you'd have to do is have one mayor who say, we're going to enforce the law as it's written. And we're, the police are going to arrest people. And if they're found guilty, they're going to be incarcerated. And that would stop it. But we can't do Victor, it. Yeah, I'd like to. Um, this isn't a commercial, but it is a plug for your website, the Blade of Perseus, Victor And I, I do want to encourage our listeners to uh, visit it. If you care about um, Victor's various appearances, you'll find links to them there. The archives of this podcast, you'll find them there. His pieces for American Greatness. His syndica weekly syndicated column links there. You'll also find ultra articles, which um, you won't be able to read unless you're a subscriber. It's $5 a month, discounted at $50 uh, for a year. Victor writes about three ultra pieces a week, exclusive pieces for the Blade of Perseus. So please go there and you will regret not having done so sooner. But you'll also find, Victor, and this gets into something we've just been talking about, you've been talking about, a link to your forthcoming book, The End of Everything, How Wars Descend into Annihilation. And I'm just curious, Victor, about the book. You know, the subtitle is what it is. But um, and I can I can imagine a, a robust society being annihilated because of war. But I I would imagine a society that's going to be annihilated is already on that path. When yeah, I try to have to in the epilogue. I, I I have a typology of why the Carthaginians or the Byzantines or classical Thebes or the got into that situation of vulnerability. Part of it is there's an arrogance that this can't happen here. Nobody has ever bridged the walls of Constantinople, the land wall, never once. Even in our decline, they can't do it. Nobody has ever even Scipio Africanus at the end of the second. Punic War didn't dare try to go over the walls of Carthage. Classical Thebes is seven-gated Thebes. This Tenochtitlan, we control four million people. We control the whole lake. 
uh, around Tenochtitlan. So there was a disbelief. And there is an inability to realize that the imperial power is waning because we're just like right now. We're Americans. It can't happen. And then there's this idea that the people that you're dealing with are not, uh, they're not existentially going to destroy you or they don't hate you or you can reason with them. Yes, we've dealt with the Romans on two Punic Wars and each time they did not destroy Carthage. They won the first Punic War, they won the second, and we were still here. So if we lose, the th no, this time they're going to destroy you and every single person in this city is going to be dead or enslaved. And your city is going to be leveled and it's going to be uninhabited, the land that it was on top. And there's going to be no more Punic dialect and you're going to be history. Do you understand that? And they didn't. They didn't quite get that until the very tool was too late. And the same thing with Constantinople. Well, we can deal. We've always dealt with the Ottomans. They don't want to. Why would they want to destroy us? We have the Genovese. We have the Florentines. We have the Venetians here. We bring in gunpowder, sophisticated weapons. This is their window on the West. They use our technology. We've gotten along with them. It's not worth the effort to try to storm Constantinople. It's a bastion. You can't take it. No, no, no. They wanted to. Mehmet the second once wanted to destroy you, and his son really wants to destroy you. He really wants to destroy you, and they couldn't get that message across. And then the people who destroy don't come in. They don't come in with a forked tongue and horns like a Hitler. They're they're usually philosophers, Jack. Alexander the Great, Aristotle was his tutor. He wouldn't really want to level Thebes. He's not a cutthroat. He's a humane man. He's learned. No, he, he's a thug. And, you know, Scipio, Afri Scipio Emilianus, the Scipionic Circle, he has playwrights around him. And when he destroyed Carthage, he felt so bad he cried. He said, I didn't want to do it. So did the Sultan. I didn't want to destroy Constantinople. I'm the next Caesar. Cortez, he writes to Charles V, I didn't really want to destroy Tenochtitlan. They made me do it. So it, there's a pattern there. And when you can see that people, I, I don't think that people quite realize that we have some existential enemies right now, and they have capabilities that we're not talking about. If you start to read, and what I try to do now, Jack, is I look at certain articles, I, I, the, and I try to correlate them. One of them is that Joe Biden has not been updating our nuclear deterrent into Sentinel new missiles, and we're way behind on that. And the Chinese know that. They've added 300 uh, additional nuclear missiles. And you know who they're pointed at? Us. My point is, if you don't do that, you're not going to have a deterrent to make them see that that would be stupid to attack us. We have no missile defense. We're $34 trillion in debt. Even Donald Trump said the other day he can't look at Social Security. I don't know. I think you should look at Social Security. You have to look at everything. We're 34 trillion in debt. We just borrowed $2 trillion. $800 billion is the interest tab. It's going to be a trillion in about three years. You're going to be financially insolvent. And, you know, when you go to San Francisco, I, I think people don't realize it. It's, as Hemingway said, it's gradually, then it's suddenly. They should read what their letters of Jerome or what Augustine was talking about at Hippo. Uh, when the vandals came in and at Carthage and 
it's sudden, but it's gradual. And they were living in a society what they understood was falling apart. And when you go to San Francisco and you see that beautiful city just 10 years ago with all that tech money and nightlife and clean. And, you know, Jack, I think I met you there a couple of times for National Review uh, regional lectures where they had three or four of us give lectures. And I can remember walking back. I think they put us at the Hyatt. I could walk back by myself at 1030. It was perfectly right. safe. I parked mm -hmm. my car in the street overnight. You'd be crazy to do that today. And if you go into yeah. a, a drug, there's nothing in the, even in my local pharmacy, there's not stuff that's all locked up. Uh, so my point is, I don't think that we realize because it's so insidious how close we are to implosion. We just keep saying, well, okay, you just kind of step over the crap on the, on the, you know, there's a clover leaf right near my house and people camp out in it down in the, uh, where the trees are. And we, I just drive by and think, oh, well, there's another guy out there. Big deal. Defecating out right. there. No problem. Oh, I went to the, uh, you know, I went to Walgreens. There's another thing locked up. Didn't know that. Just locked up. Oh, I went to Costco the other day. You know, instead of just handing them your little tag and they kind of look real quickly and they sign it off, they're looking, looking, looking because they are confronted with mass theft. And so every single thing is starting to then you look, you start to look at certain, you know, cosmic forces. You start to see your friends, your family, and you start looking at young males and you start to notice mm -hmm. something. Wow, they're not married. Wow, they're in their 30s. Wow, they have bachelor's degrees or master's degrees or wow, they, they don't have homes. Wow, they don't have children. We have a whole, and then you think, well, Victor, in 2000, it was 2.1 fertility rate. Now it's 1.78. So that's what you're talking about. There's a whole, and then when you look at these kids, you know, they, oh, I, I, I owe $140,000. I haven't made a payment in six years, that kind of stuff. So it's, it's all around us and we keep thinking it's not existential and we're just going to press on and it is existential. I can see California... To be honest, we have $65 billion uh, deficit, and Gavin Newsom just allowed $500 million for health care for illegal aliens, and they're pouring in, uh, given the open border. And at some point, this attitude that we're just going to come to California, and they're going to give us free health care, and we get free legal care, and, and subsidized housing, and free food, and and that they're going to pay for it. Well, they're not here anymore. They're leaving. Pronto. Right. Fast, quickly. As they say in Greek. Riga. We had the advantage, Victor, of having uh, Detroit happen. And yes, and that's what's a, happened. A powerful lesson to the entire country. And I and would say been... if this continues in California at the rate it is the next 30 years, it's going to be very problematic that you could drive, say, on a major uh, state freeway, say, from San Francisco to Los Angeles and be able to afford the fuel or feel safe. And then when you pull into San Francisco or Los Angeles, it mm -hmm. would be very dangerous. And right. I think it'll be very hard for any young person to buy a home. And I think if you go to the ER and that's you're not going to get you're not going to get. Uh, health care. And I think even if you think you have 
a doctor, a family physician and specialist. And I, I've noticed this in California. When you go to a specialist for a checkup, whether it's urology or whether it's cardiology, what it, it it's not like it was just five years. It takes months. And when you go into that waiting room, it's just packed with people. And suddenly when you show your insurance card, it's like, cross-examination. We got to see this. Do you have this? And what they're really saying is we need people to pay for this. And just down the road in Madeira, the hospital just went broke. And, you know, the Denver, Denver city of Denver was bragging about they were an open sanctuary city. All these left-wing people, remember, kept trying to performance art or virtue signal their moral superiority as long as Donald Trump had the border closed. Cages on the border, Trump. And then when Joe Biden gave them their wish, they turn out to be paranoid. They're saying, "You, can, <laughs> the hospitals in Denver are going broke. What are we going to do? New York, people are out in the street. They're coming to people knocking on the door and wanting money. What, what's going? What are you going to do? Well, you, it's what you wanted. That's what you got. It doesn't work wanted, anymore. Right? Civilization has yeah. imploded. So I think it's, and I can see it in the universities too. I get a. a, a daily rundown of crime on the Stanford campus. And it used to be very rare. And I was just looking at this morning for the month of December. It's every single day. It's bike theft, assailant, uh, suspect unknown. It is a rape, suspect unknown, car theft, catalytic converter theft, assault. Every day. That used to be an oasis. It was one of the safest places in the world. And it's it's apparently every thief in the area goes there and they steal bikes every single day and they break into cars. And I, I never saw any of that. I will say that oh, the no. Clery Act is completely non-operable. Clery Act by law says that if you know the suspect's description, you're supposed to apprise the university community so they can make the necessary adjustments. But... I think I read today maybe 30 crimes, uh, 40 crimes in December, more than that probably, and not, there wasn't one suspect notice, no description of a single suspect. Really? Jeez. Nope. And I don't believe that in every single case they didn't see somebody that right. might have been the suspect. So we're post-civilizational and we're pre-civilizational. Yeah. And uh, I think it's going to start to... It's starting to, to break down, and that's why people are fleeing to these kind of like areas of the Roman Empire where they felt they were still safe uh, in the 5th century AD or the, the classical Greek city-state in the 4th century or 3rd century. People went to particular places in, in our parlance. They're Wyoming, they're Utah, they're Florida, Tennessee, Texas, where they enforce the law. They have balanced budgets. They have good civic services you can, where you can own a gun you can own a gun and protect yourself yeah. and yeah. they're going to flee california new york illinois maryland they want to keep away from chicago baltimore detroit los angeles san francisco seattle portland minneapolis some of the most beautiful and best cities in the in the, in the country yeah. And it's really sad to be in the generation when you're watching this happen, particularly if you belong to the generation who inaugurated it, the boomers. And that's what's so you try to say to yourself, well, what was what was intrinsic in your generation that made you so different from 
your parents or your grandparents. Right. And then when you, that gets very dangerous because you can do it on a personal level and you have to ask yourself, and I do this all the time, Victor, you're 70. What was your dad doing at 70? What was your grandfather? What do you think your great-grandfather was doing? How, how do they comport themselves? Did they pay their taxes on time? Did they follow the law? Was any but and then you you'd have to model yourself like them to continue well, the civilization. Yeah. And it would uh, probably mean you'd have to be religious. Yes. Comparing you'd have to have a sense of honor and and a sense of shame, which we don't have in society. You know, when my grandfather died in his sleep at eighty six, he literally went to go to the DMV and he didn't pass his test. He was upset, came back and he died in the bedroom that I'm living in now. Okay. So my mother was very busy with the funeral, everything. And she said, he was so worried about bills. Could you at least in the next two or three days, find out what he owed on the ranch or farm and go to them. Mm -hmm. And so I went to maybe nine store, the electric motor shop, the uh, farm supply shop, the insurance. You know what I found out? They all said the same thing. He wasn't feeling very well two or three weeks earlier. So he came in and wrote us a check. And we had to tell Mr. Davis that he'd already paid. And wow. he did this not because he was old, but he always did it. He always came in to make sure that he the check and the mail had gotten there and he double checked. And if we hadn't gotten it in time, he thought three days, then he wanted to write us another check. And I thought to myself, think of that, that attitude and what a whole nation of people were like that. And they they had a responsibility to pay. They didn't cheat on their income taxes. They trusted people. They followed the rules. They didn't get arrested. They treated and people I think, with courtesy. Yeah, they also had a sense, Victor, of what's normal and what's not normal. And on the you mentioned before United Airlines. And, you know, is, did I misread this or is the president of United Airlines a I drag? Read it. No, you're right. I read it. I read it, too. Like, what the? He's mad, What's isn't happened? he? He's putting every, he's mentioned everything United was going to do except one thing, ensure the passenger's absolute safety. Yeah. He yeah. couldn't do that. But, that's, but, but a guy like that, I'm sorry, it's not normal. It's not no, it's, normal. It's not but normal. He's, but, he's, but he's put on a freaking pedestal in our society today. I asked my grandfather once, is it true that you had 28 people in 1931 living on this small farm? He said, no, I had 32. I said, well, what did you do? He said, every second cousin, every uncle would write me a letter because I had a farm. So I'd go into the Salma Depot about once every two weeks and somebody would be hitchhiking on a on a rail car and I'd put them in the back of the truck and we'd brought them home. We had them in the barn. We had them in the pump house. We had them in the shed and we had beds and we had a big pot we made. Stew every day. Your grandmother did, and everybody had a communal table. And I remember the the wood tables; they were very long. They was they were in the shed when I was a kid, and we had. And I I never understood. There were all these beds, these these wire beds. And uh, he said we uh, we they all worked. Everybody had to work on the farm, and then they ate communally. And we kept everybody going alive. And then every once in a while, there was two or three of them had a car, and I filled them up with gas and. They would go away. And that's what they did. And my point is they were very, very poor. 
And yet they were more law-abiding and more, as you say, normal than today. I know there was, I'm not saying that I'm not in rosy colored glasses. I'm not saying there were not real pathologies in every society. But on, on the whole, when you look at their moral lives compared to ours, uh, I would say that if I lost my wallet in 1931 in the middle of the Depression in Selma at a, at a hardware store, I would have a much better chance of getting it then than now. Because I've lost right. two wallets and both of them turned up. Uh, the credit cards were being used in about two hours. And so I, I just think I'd look at things like that, the nuts and bolts of a civilization and how people treat each other and shop, whether there was shoplifting on an epidemic level or whether the, there was trash thrown. Every, I, I go to a, a local parking lot and I tell you, <laughs> this is very funny. I was going in, uh, to, I won't mention the name of the store yesterday. And as I was going in, I was so busy and, and the, the woman at the door said, stop. <laughs> and I said, why? What did I do wrong? She goes, you have a half eaten hot dog in your shopping cart. I said, what? And I looked down and here was a hot dog that I had just taken the cart, you know, from the cart rail. And somebody, right. <laughs> and that's that happens all the time now when I go to this one place. It's a modern shopping center, but I have to look at the carts because people just throw trash in it all Debris, the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, all right, Mike. Anyway, well, that's uh, enough of that rant. That's, well, it was a pretty, pretty darn good rant. I think every, I'm, I'm trying to say that trying to. What, I'll just finish today because we're going over, but I think everybody shares these concerns that what used to bother them in abstraction, do we have a strong military? Do we have a secure border? Are we financially solvent? Is fuel and food affordable? Can my kids buy a house? Those are concerns, but we're beyond that now. We're beyond that. We're into... Right. These people are crazy. They're going to put certain types of literature in the school that are pretty pornographic. Or you're going to look at, uh, when you look at Sam, what was his name, Britain? When you have the head of a major nuclear waste division in the Department of Energy, and he's dressing up as a woman and stealing women's clothes. These are the things that are starting to really come right out of Swetonius or you know, yeah. Petronius' Satyricon. And Actually, they're, next, they're, worried, uh, they're worried that the whole fabric of society is unwinding, but just not not just unwinding, but unwinding at a geometric pace. And and well, they're they're troubled. And, and I think Jamie Dimon, we uh, Sammy and I talked about him when yeah. he said that thing at Davos the other day. It was almost like a Socratic, as I said to Sammy, dialogue. Well, the border wasn't that pretty good. What Trump did, well, economy was not too bad. He, he was kind of right on China, wasn't he? Remember, did you see that interview with him? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was pretty good. I'm prejudiced because I said to Sammy, I, I have great admiration for people who of Greek ancestry who lived in Asia Minor, and his family came from Izmir, which was Greek Smyrna in the twenties. Oh. Okay, would have been even better if his family had come from Sweden, but uh, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> I, I have a new, I'll finish today with, I have a new appraisal. I I went in three cycles in my life. I got so tired driving this ladybug used Volvo my dad got for the three of us. That was 350,000 miles. It looked like a ladybug, you know, a Volvo 544. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we fixed it every week, but it, it, that was our transportation. And we had to eat those rye crackers. And we right. had to have an Electrolux that we would all get shocked on when he would try to rebuild it. And we had all this Swedish stuff. And then I reacted. And then there was, remember all the Swedish people who were lecturing us during the Vietnam War from Sweden? Sure. And there was all left wing and they hated the United States and they were neutral in World War II. They sent iron ore to Bremen and Germany and they paid for the transportation to help the Third Reich. Da, 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 da. And now I'm starting to be pro filio Swedish again because they yeah. had the right attitude on COVID. And right. They're, they have some of the most sophisticated military weaponry, and they have a deterrent. They have a very good military, and they're, they're, they have no illusions about what Putin's about. And they're starting to address this 22% radical Islamicists that are the part of their population now for the first time. Yeah. So I think they're a model now. Yeah, they'll be a real model if they start kicking them out and uh, bringing them back to work from whatever hellhole they came from. How so. dare you say that? Well, I'm sure you can't do that. You can't you can't deport somebody who's uh, hates your guts and is committing yeah, felonies. That would Why be... would you want to be in a do them a favor get them out of the lands of uh, white white privilege? So. Yeah, it would be. I don't yeah. understand that. Why do these people who hate Western civilization and are racist and hate so-called white majority populations. Why are they so attracted to go there? I don't understand that. It's 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 a weird thing. Why is Joy Reid going a rant every single night about evil white people in Iowa, and then she dyes her hair blonde? I don't understand that. I heard you with Sammy. <laughs> yeah. Cultural appropriation. All right. Anyway, we I'm are appropriated. Uh, I guess. No, well, she certainly is. So, Victor, one last, two last things. One, uh, I'd like to thank the folks. A lot of folks have written me lately that they're getting Civil Thoughts, the free weekly email newsletter I write for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil. I'm glad you enjoy it. For those who don't know what it is, it's a free weekly email newsletter that comes out every Friday where I give uh, 14 recommended readings, uh, great articles I've come across the previous week. For example, the aforementioned John Pedort's piece. I, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing. Oh, here's the link. Here's an excerpt. I do think you will enjoy it. Go to civilthoughts.com and do sign up. And then uh, the um, thanks folks who rate this show, which you can do on if you listen on iTunes and Apple and uh, Victor, the rank, the rating is zero to five stars and Victor is 4.9, whatever, you know, uh, approval ratings. There's a couple, there's a crank or two out there, Victor, who doesn't, doesn't like you. They're the kind of people that write those angry reader letters to you. There's more than a couple, <laughs> believe me. I have a lot of personal email that are sometimes. Well, well but you have, you you did a piece and the, the I mentioned before, Victor writes these ultra articles uh, uh, for, uh, the blade of Perseus, and one of uh, when he responds to a quote unquote angry reader, it is an ultra piece. And there was one angry reader who just went off on Victor Victor about uh, 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 the Harvard uh, quoting Gay's uh, you know, departure from Harvard, etc. But uh, your response is your article, and somebody wrote a comment on that, and I just like to read that as we end our shows with comments, and this is from. Uh, Robert O'Brien, 
And he's uh, this is in response to your angry reader piece from a Michael Jordan, which is not the basketball player. And Mike, Michael spelt kind of weird. But anyway, uh, Robert O'Brien writes, I enjoy watching it, watching an arrogant smack talking fighter walk into the match ending left hook from Mike Tyson. This seems to be what happened here. Thank you, BDH. And he ends with Mike Tyson's famous quote. Everyone got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. So thank you, Robert O'Brien. Thanks to everyone else who leaves comments on iTunes, Apple, and on Victor's website. We read them all. At least I do. I know Victor does. I know Sammy does, too. Victor will be back soon with another episode of The Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, expert politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.